section number 12 of other people's lives this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc other people's lives by rosa nuchette carey book five the ordeal of hannah markham chapter one nance reed's daughter when hannah reed married stephen markham that wild windy march morning all sandylands rose up like one man and denounced the ill-assorted union perhaps the women were more seething in their criticisms and there were plenty of sharp speeches uttered at the bridegroom's expense what ails the women that she must take up with a dour man like steve markham old elsmith cameron was heard to mutter and no word was more true in its description not even his best friend if he possessed one could have denied that stephen markham was a dour man but if the women sharpened their tongues there was a great deal of head shaking and not a few meaning looks in the bar of the fox and hounds when nathan wood the blacksmith put down his empty tankard and drew his hand across his lips with a slow wink at reuben steadman it was at once understood by every one that hannah had caught a tartar god help her poor soul murmured bessie martin wringing the soap suds from her arms as she stood at her wash-tub that morning i fear she has done an ill job for herself this day but there when a woman plays the fool and takes the wrong mate for better and worse she must just bide the bitter mint but all that day bessie's soft heart felt sorely for hannah perhaps the sandyland folk were a little too hard on stephen markham for with all his faults and strange complex personality he was not without his virtues he was a steady respectable man sober and abstinent and was never known to loiter either at the fox and hounds or the hen and chickens he was a good son too and had worked for his widowed mother ever since he had been a lad of sixteen the wonder was how he had contrived to win hannah's affections hannah reed was not a sandilands woman she was the blacksmith's daughter at brentwood and was considered the finest girl for miles round even the vicar who had an aesthetic eye and was no mean judge of female beauty had given his opinion unhesitatingly that hannah reed was undeniably handsome she was tall and a little massive in build but her clear brown skin bright hazel eyes and dark hair certainly laid claims to beauty no girl in sandylands brentwood or great ditton 
could compete with her in good looks and when hannah came into church in her gray alpaca and with a hop garland round her hat the brentwood lasses looked anxiously at their sweethearts and pursed up their lips severely hannah had more lovers than she knew how to manage on sunday evenings the green before the forge was black with them it was odd and a little amusing to see how the lads glowered at each other and then nudged each other's elbows when hannah turned her back on them but when stephen markham first showed his face on the green they were heard to mutter deep down in their throats that they wanted no black-faced jeremiah to cut in and spoil their game but jem slater finished more cheerily well boys it don't so much matter after all there is no fear that a girl like hannah reed would take up with a dour-looking chap like steve martin but alas for poor jem's hopes a few weeks later the bands of stephen markham and hannah reed were read in church and stephen markham lived in the last cottage at audley end he was wheelwright and carpenter and his workshed and yard adjoined the home stephen was a capital workman and drove a brisk trade and was considered in sandylands a warm man he had money in the brentwood bank and the cottage which was roomy and comfortable as well as the wood yard belonged to him quite recently he had added two rooms to the cottage a parlor and a bedroom over it and miriam earl from the bakery had lifted up her hands in amazement when she had been shown the corner cupboards and the handsome press and the oak box with the carved lid which stephen had made for his young wife there was no denying that as far as the loaves and fishes were concerned hannah was doing a good thing for herself and perhaps this view of the matter made the blacksmith and his wife give their consent for when a man has four growing lads to feed and clothe besides three girls still in their teens a well-to-do son-in-law with money in the brentwood bank was not to be despised if hannah fancies him and we know no ill of him george reed observed to his wife it is not for us to put down our foot he is not a genial chap certainly and he has a silent tongue but then we can't be cut after one pattern so cheer up nancy woman but mrs reed shook her head sadly and her eyes were a little dim i don't hold with it george she said timidly for she was somewhat in awe of her big stalwart husband hannah is the flower of our flock and could take her choice of a dozen honest lads if she marries stephen markham i doubt if she will be as happy a woman as her mother has been but even nancy wavered for a bit 
when hannah slyly enticed her over to sandylands on pretense of purchasing a bargain at crampton's stores and then inveigled her to the end cottage for when the glories of the new parlor and the corner cupboards were displayed to her nancy reed was not quite so sure that her daughter was to be pitied if only steve's mother were not to live with them she replied but hannah who was sanguine by temperament and inclined to see everything in couleur de rose had offered no objections when stephen had informed her of this arrangement if stephen markham was a dour man he certainly inherited his austerity from his mother deborah was by no means a lovable woman if she had deep feelings and warm affections which many people doubted she concealed them most successfully under a stern uncompromising exterior she was a little white thin-lipped woman with strangely keen eyes but for her eyes her face would have been as expressionless as a wooden mask deborah has an easy windy look miriam was once heard to say though she seldom criticized her neighbors it is not wholesome for a woman to hold her tongue six days of the week for it makes her bitter on the seventh but there we don't know what troubles she may have known poor soul it was a bitter hour when deborah first learnt from her son's lips that he was to wed the blacksmith's daughter more than one well-meaning person had tried to give her a hint of what was coming but deborah had refused to be enlightened stephen goes to the brentwood forge most sunday evenings i am thinking hannah reed has got a new sweetheart observed her neighbor but when these sort of speeches were made to her deborah's thin lips only twitched slightly but she made no answer even when miss batesby who had a finger in every sandyland's pie told her in a shocked voice that she had come upon stephen markham and hannah reed the previous evening walking hand in hand on the brentwood road just for all the world as though they were acknowledged lovers finished miss batesby deborah only looked at her in silence and then went to the oven door to take out her batch of new bread deborah never spoke to her son that day at dinner time the two often ate their meals silently stephen was making up his mind that he would break the news before he slept that night we are to be cried in church next sunday and it is time that i told her he said to himself and when he came to this conclusion he gave himself a shake and went back to his work deborah stood at the window a moment watching him her eyes had an ominous sparkle in them he is full to the brim with it she thought and he will find his tongue to-night 
and then she went dodgedly about her work and no one would have guessed how her mother's heart ached with almost physical agony and he is all i have all i have she would moan at intervals and now he will be taken from me deborah's kitchen at tea-time was always a pleasant sight the bright firelight was reflected on the gleaming brasses and tins the well-scoured table and dresser set off the blue-rimmed plates and cups that were the pride of deborah's heart the big rocking chairs with their red twill cushions looked so inviting while through the open door one had a side view of the yard with its wood piles and cart wheels and miscellaneous lumber and even the shed with its carpenter's bench littered with clean curly shavings was clearly visible when stephen markham crossed the threshold he seemed to block up the whole doorway he was a big muscular man very strongly developed in the chest and arms but a little bowed in the legs as though he had been a rickety child or had been allowed to walk too early his features were good and might almost have been considered handsome but his repellent gravity and the gloom in his lustrousless black eyes gave him a down aspect he seldom smiled and no one could remember hearing a hearty laugh from him but hannah had once told her mother that she had never seen any smile so sweet it was just sunshine mother and transformed him it most took my breath away and ever afterwards the girl strove in her innocent playful way to make stephen smile again stephen stood so long in the threshold that evening that deborah grew impatient come in lad she said sharply and sit you down your tea is ready and then stephen came to the table and cut himself a muddy slice of bread and butter which he ate with some young cress and it was not until he had pushed up his cup for the third time that he broke silence mother i'm going to wed hannah reed we are to be cried in church here and at brentwood next sunday deborah made no answer but the lid of the teapot slipped from her trembling hand and rattled against the sugar basin do you hear me mother and stephen raised his voice more than once he had known his mother affect deafness if the subject displeased her ay i hear you steve she returned dryly and more's the pity well lad you have given me short notice so in three weeks i am to turn out and give up my place to nance reed's daughter then stephen brought down his hand on the table with a suppressed oath it is like you to be aggravating mother he said angrily who but yourself would think of such a thing 
haven't i worked for you ever since my father died and now because i tell you i am going to wed hannah reed you are throwing it against me that i am turning my mother out of doors ah you are ill to deal with as my poor hannah will find to her cost ay my lad i have mistook you returned deborah eagerly am i to stay when you bring your wife home oh the cottage is big enough she went on there are three grand new rooms which are far too good for the likes of me tell me quick steve and here her eyes were almost piercing in their intensity am i to go or stay you are to stay but stephen's voice was harsh he was not even softened when his mother threw her apron over her head and burst into sobs that seemed to tear her to pieces with their violence all these words she had silently borne a martyrdom of doubt and dread and now the relief broke her down a steve god bless thee for saying that she wailed after all i need not have fretted myself and doubted it would not have been like my good lad to turn his mother out of doors but this speech failed to touch stephen he only frowned as he cut himself some more bread i am glad you have come to your senses mother he returned almost roughly but it is like you to look at the worst and the darkest side and here there was a touch of repressed passion in his voice oh i was a fool to expect sympathy he went on bitterly or to think you would wish me joy i have slaved and worked since i was a youngster to keep the wolf from the door and a good roof over your head and now you grudge my sweetheart a welcome nay steve you must not say that and deborah looked at him wistfully your wife shall have her dues don't i know there can only be one missus i will just bide in my chimney corner and let hannah tend thee and then her hand stole out to him and her keen eyes were full of yearning tenderness but stephen made no response he had said his say but in his heart he was hopeless of results he knew the jealous bitterness with which his mother would yield her privileges to her daughter-in-law hannah will find her ill to deal with he muttered to himself as he kindled his pipe in the porch they were a strange couple mother and son and from that night to the wedding morning no word about the future passed between them deborah went about her work silently but she made no preparations for her daughter-in-law it was stephen who arranged the furniture in the parlor and who tended the plants at the window his mother only watched from afar but when he was safely away she stole in to see the result of his labor 
when she saw the new carpet and curtains and the oval mirror over the mantel shelf a dull red color came to her face it's fine enough for madame she muttered i am thinking nance reed's daughter has done grandly for herself and at that moment there was an almost hatred in her heart for stephen's sweetheart when the wedding day arrived stephen put on his best clothes and then went to look for his mother she was busy at her ironing and looked up at him sharply as he entered well i must be going he said abruptly i shall bring hannah home this evening don't trouble about supper we shall have been eating and drinking enough for mrs reed is giving a fine spread then deborah snorted i'll warrant that of nance reed she said severely a they are a wasteful lot it is well you have money saved steve for you will need all you have got well well don't let me keep you and then stephen with an impatient word turned on his heel his brow was dark with anger as he walked down the road not even on his wedding day would she wish him joy deborah watched him until he was out of sight then she rocked herself in her chair and shed bitter tears of remorse over her evil temper oh my lad she moaned how could i treat thee so ill my steve and looking so grand and noble on his wedding day i am just eaten up with my jealousy and my pride in him if it were only another sort of woman but a good-looking wrench with a stuck-up notions and grand ways and not a penny in her pocket oh it angers me sore to think of it that my steve should choose a wife from a feckless lot like the reeds and deborah wept long and sorely but when evening had come she was in her best sunday merino and a spotless cap the kitchen too was in nice order and a tray with cake and ginger wine was on the table beside it lay a bunch of keys ostentatiously laid on a fringed napkin when stephen a little flushed but holding his head high entered the house with his girl wife hanging on his arm deborah winced and her small thin face grew strangely white she put her hand to her eyes as though hannah's blooming looks and fresh young beauty almost dazzled her but the next moment she recovered herself good evening hannah she said coldly sit you down my woman but she did not offer to kiss her though hannah looked at her wistfully steve lad you'll be giving your wife a glass of our homemade ginger wine and some cake it is for luck if ever there is luck in this house for the new-made wife to break bread before she goes up the stairs then as stephen did his mother's bidding hannah broke off a crumb or two and sipped her wine but her eyes were full of tears 
Deborah's next speech gave her little consolation, for the keys were solemnly laid upon her lap. The house is yours, and you are mistress, went on Deborah, in the same dry, toneless voice. Stephen will show you the keys of the press and the china cupboard, and then she poured herself out some wine. I drink to your health, Hannah, and yours too, Stephen, and I hope neither of you will live to repent this day. Now I will wish you good night, for it is getting late. And then Deborah went off and lay wakeful and miserable until morning. It was not a cheerful homecoming, and Hannah felt herself strangely chilled. Don't heed my mother, lass, observed Stephen soothingly, as he saw the cloud on his wife's face. She is a bit contrary and perverse at times, but her bark is far worse than her bite, and she is not so ill at the bottom. She is put out, maybe, because she has to knock under, and will be Mrs. no longer. But you must just hold your own, Hannah, and I will help you. But this was poor consolation to Hannah, who was affectionate and peace-loving, and who had grown up in an atmosphere of cheerfulness and good nature. Poor Hannah, it was a woeful change. At the forge there had been a merry family party, big strapping brothers who came in from their work whistling and stumping heavily up and down the stairs. All day long, her calmly voluble mother had bustled and catered for her household, assisted by her daughters. But when evening fell, there was noise and laughter enough to blow the roof off, as George Reed would say, looking complacently around on his lads and lasses. But now Hannah had to do her work silently, only overlooked by her mother-in-law's severe eyes. Deborah's keen glances followed her everywhere, until the poor girl felt as though the crockery would slip through her fingers from sheer nervousness. From the first, Deborah had kept rigidly to the rule she had laid down for herself and sat knitting in the chimney corner, leaving all the work of the house to her daughter-in-law, until Hannah, in desperation, appealed to her husband. Steve, she said passionately, I can bear it no longer. Why does not your mother help me, instead of glowering at me morning, noon, and night from the chimney corner? It is driving me fairly silly for I know that nothing pleases her. Yesterday she was finding fault with my baking, and today it was my ironing, but mother always had a good word for me. What is the use of my wearing myself out? And here Hannah, tired and discouraged, shed tears of vexation, but Stephen tried to comfort her. She was overdone, and missed her brothers and sisters. When tea was over, he would take her for a stroll. She must not heed his mother's nonsense. 
the old woman was twisty and had got notions in her head after this there was a stormy scene between stephen and his mother and one that was well that hannah did not witness as usual when stephen was in a masterful mood deborah had to give way look here mother he finished i have done my duty to you and now i mean to do it to my wife if you can't get along with hannah better than this i must just take rooms for you at the other end of the village i won't have her made miserable and repenting the day that she wed me said stephen and stephen looked at his mother so fiercely and his eyes shone with such angry fire that deborah was fairly cowed the next day she waylaid her daughter-in-law that job is too heavy for you hannah let me finish it for you and she spoke so civilly that hannah stared at her in amazement after that she shared all hannah's work taking on herself the hardest and least pleasing parts i am tough and used to work was all she said when hannah begged her to spare herself it would send me crazy in a fortnight to do naught but knit socks in the chimney corner stephen made no remark when he came in from the shed and found his mother at the wash-tub or pinning up the sheets and quilts on the clothes lines and though he was secretly pleased to see her baking bread and gingerbread as of old he carefully refrained from all comment his threat had frightened her that was all he said to himself but once when she had refused to let hannah iron his shirts he added to himself if she were not so terribly fond of me she might find room in her heart for hannah end of section twelve recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.